This is Merchandise Mart. Transfer to Brownline Trains at Merchandise Mart. Doors closing. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Weisendell Weekly Wrap-Up, uh, where we talk about architecture, design, everything in between. Uh, today, I have a very special guest with me. Uh, glad you could introduce yourself. Hey, thanks, Felix. Uh, my name is Michael Darling, and my new identity is co-founder and chief growth officer of the Museum Exchange. Nice, nice. And how long uh, have you been doing that? Uh, one month. One month? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> one month yesterday. So, yeah, it's very, very new. Very cool. Congrats, man. Um, let's start all the way back. First of all, how, how long do you think this is for? Good question. We can t test it out. Let's test this out here. What do you think? An hour, maybe? That looks that looks pretty heavy, though. Yeah. Um, so take us back into the, how where are you from? Like, how did you start in your career? Yeah, uh, I grew up in Southern California, and um, um, I think back back in you know pretty early on got, got excited about art. Um, I feel like I can kind of trace it back to middle school and opening up a book in an art class and seeing like Picasso and Kandinsky and thinking like, oh my gosh, what is this stuff? I want to know more about this and um, but it really wasn't until I went to college um, and, I, and I went to, to Stanford in Northern California that I, that I kind of was recognizing that I was doing really well in my art history classes and not as well in my econ classes. Yeah. And I thought, I thought, hey, this is this is some, something that I really like and I'd like to pursue this. So I kind of little by little, you know, I did some internships at museums and mm -hmm. figured out I needed some graduate degrees in order to really make a run at this career. And so... Um, did a, a master's and a, and a PhD at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Okay. Um, which actually, I, at that time, I was still, I, I mean, I always have been interested in architecture and design too. So um, my actual PhD was in architectural history. Oh, nice. Um, and, but I did a kind of a weird path through that and was, was really, act funny that we're in a space like this, was my, <laughs> my dissertation was about George Nelson oh, and nice. his furniture designs and especially yeah. how he was thinking about domestic interiors in particular at mid-century and um and at that time you know that whole the whole mid-century thing this was you know mid-90s it was just starting to kind of happen and mm -hmm. and I kind of got into it because I was I was going to garage sales you know and like finding Eames stuff and Nelson stuff yeah, and, and I was like I need to know more about this and yeah. there was no re good resources really except yeah. for that really big beautiful Eames book on by the new hearts and so I kind of got into it that way but always was interested in contemporary art and was writing criticism for local newspapers and and week, weekly newspapers and magazines and stuff and so little by little just sort of got my foot in the door first at the Museum of Contemporary Art Los Angeles that's really okay. where I got my foot in the door and where I've had my first really paid curatorial museum job although I did work as a museum guard when I was up in Santa Barbara as a grad student and um, so I've just been around museums now I guess for 30 years or something like that yeah or, yeah that's or so that's a it's quite a path for yeah. sure and just really quick uh, big shout out to Hayworth and company here hosting us today uh, stay stay tuned after the podcast we're going to be sitting down with Lauren and she's going to be talking a little bit more about what we're, what you see and the products that you see and seeing here if you are watching uh, visually um, so yeah the museum life I mean that's uh, 
and obviously you you still stay connected to galleries as well right and the smaller or larger uh, yeah as well yeah i mean galleries are just so important in the ecosystem to kind of bring artists forward and bring them to the public attention and then you know often then museums you know will step in and kind of take 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 it from there doing exhibitions and things but um but i i've always i've always had a bit of a underdog streak you know and i'm Mm -hmm. always like looking at the artists that are not the ones that everybody else is talking about or not the ones that the marketplace is really excited about and and just always wanting to kind of look around the corners and the edges and 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 also just thinking too about like there's so many artists that art history kind of misses and so i've always been really excited about how to push some of those artists that maybe have been forgotten or overlooked in some way and push Mm. them back into the spotlight so Mm -hmm. that's i'd say that would be something that would be kind of a hallmark of of my my career my interests in in a lot of ways yeah and and just sticking on the museums i mean obviously there's different museums of contemporary art right and how do how does one compare to the other? Is it the like the amount of the collection, the square footage? Because typically, what you would you, like, what are the gauge or the benchmarking? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a really good question because I've also tried to kind of poke at all the different models kind of throughout right. my career. Like, um, I I first, like I said, started at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, which is you know their mission is contemporary art, and and they collect contemporary art, and so I got that kind of of uh, education working there but then I wanted to sort of see what it would be like to program contemporary art in a more general museum so I I've the, uh, after eight years at MOCA Los Angeles went to the Seattle Art Museum and so programming contemporary art in that setting is different you know it's the the mission for the museum is not contemporary it's like all kinds of art from especially there you know different parts of the world different periods yeah. and so how to kind of bring a contemporary um, point of view into that setting is really interesting, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but at the same time, you know, then when I fi- finally got to the MCA in Chicago, um, it was nice to be back at a place where, again, the mission was all contemporary all the time. And just, you know, you just that's that's what you're what you're cranking out. Yeah. Um, but the, the other difference, I think, is um, whether or not a museum has a collection or not. And museums with collections obviously have a resource that they can always draw upon to make exhibitions with and things like that. But it also really helps to form that museum's identity and and what they are and what they're about and even what their reputation is. And then kind of it gives you a starting point Mm -hmm. to kind of use that collection and then build upon it in some way. But on the other hand, museums and especially contemporary museums that don't have a collection they have another kind of freedom. Um, they, it's just about making exhibitions. It's not about taking care of a collection. Um, on the one hand, they don't have those guideposts that a collection could give you, but they, so they have to find other ways to kind of define what their mission or their strategy might be. And, and, I, and I think, I, think there, I have not worked at one of those kinds of museums, but I think that there can be a certain freedom there um, and a lightness uh, yeah. of, of activity that that you don't have when you're also trying to think about your your collection and looking after that at the same time. Yeah, of course. And and you know, obviously, people change. And how is it a is it a board of trustees? And and again, these are all questions because I don't know. So <laughs> I've always I'm always curious, like how because the you, it passes through hands, right? And how do you obviously there's interview process to the curator and to the selections, but how would how is that who's making those selections and how do you in, 
be sure that they translate from person to person. Yeah. I mean, in a best case scenario, the the day-to-day staff of a museum is really determining the direction of the museum and the board is just there to kind of support that vision and that and, and that those efforts. Um, and of course, if the museum is going off course in some way, you know, financially or ethically or something, you know, that's when the board really needs to step in and provide some some leadership. But I think gotcha. if they can kind of keep a little bit of an arm's length distance and trust the professionalism of the of the of the director of the curators of the of the other staff i think that's the most ideal situation and luckily i've worked in museums where it's been like that where there's a more of a hands-off approach and a uh, of the relationship between the board and the staff but there are other museums where the board can be meddlesome and get in the way and influence programs or or, or be also maybe lax in their financial oversight um, gotcha. and or strategic oversight and how they build their board and, and what their relationship is to the rest of their community. So there are there are situations where that hasn't gone as well. Yeah. Um, I think I think the main thing now that I feel like is a really pressing issue in museums is the relationship between the board and the staff and and boards that typically provide so much financial support to those museums and keep them running. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which then adds to the collection, right? Or the ability to gain a collection, is it, that correct? It can, yeah. yeah, it can for sure. Um, but museums, you know, so many museums these days are not supported by the government, you know, whether it's federal or, or state or local. And so many of them are dependent on private money to make them run. And that that conflict between where that money is coming from, what the ideals of the museum and especially mm-hmm. its staff are, I think is, is one of the biggest rubs in the museum industry right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you've seen that in some high profile situations like like at MoMA and like at sure. Whitney and where the values of of those financial backers are maybe Different. in conflict <laughs> yeah. with the values of the people that are working there yeah. and the artists. I mean, the thing about contemporary art museums is that you're dealing with living artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to take their concerns into consideration as opposed to, you know, uh, this sounds cr- kind of crass, but, uh, you know, d- dead artists, you know, uh, and working with historical material, it's a, it's a different relationship and a different kind of um, responsibility, I would say. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's a lot. It's, just, it's a difficult situation, I think, all around. Um, so I guess leading up, I guess, to the uh, museum exchange. So how, what's the, tell us a little bit more about that company. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd, I'd been at the um, the MCA for over 10 years and was starting to really think like, okay, you know, it's a g- good time. I've done a lot here, really proud of the things that I've done and, and but kind of was needing a new a new challenge in a way. Yeah. And um, and also, you know, like what I was just saying a minute ago, you know, this is a, a really uh, different time in the museum world. I think it's a time when new leadership really needs to step forward. Um, these these new really pressing social concerns are, are at the forefront of everyone's mind. And and I thought it would be also great just to sort of step aside and let a, someone else come in and really you know, tackle those things with with fresh eyes, because, you know, you know, to be honest, like being at a place too long or for a long time, you know, you start to get a little comfortable and, and you can't maybe see everything freshly. And, and you bring somebody new in and they can kind of crack some eggs and kind of make, <laughs> stu- make yeah, stuff yeah, happen. Yeah. And they're, that's what's expected of them. So I, I really thought that th- that could be a great opportunity for the for the MCA in that way. Um, 
Yeah. But I still love museums. You know, like I mentioned earlier on, Mm -hmm. you know, I've just been involved with museums for 30 years now Mm -hmm. and wanted to stay involved in that way and and find another way to help museums. And so when this opportunity came up in this company called Museum Exchange, um, it seemed like a perfect thing for me to, sh- to shift to. I mean, risk, risky and, and kind of wild because it's a brand new company and, you know, there's only five people and, and you know, it's literally a startup. And um, but but it just felt like the right time, especially after 2020, you know, yeah. <laughs> and kind, yeah. of, kind of reckoning with everything that we've done and what we've been through and where we're going. And, you know, it just yeah. felt like the time to really um, kind of throw caution to the wind and try something different. But the, the basic idea is that it's a, it's a platform that exists in between art collectors on one side and museums on the other. And we try to bring them together in the middle where art collectors that want to donate work, they put them onto this platform. Uh, and then on the other side, museums are signing up and every, every quarter they're looking at a brand new catalog of works that are available for, for donation. And it doesn't matter if it's a big museum, a small museum, a university museum in the middle of the country on, on one of the coasts, big city, small city, like essentially everybody has the same chance at, at getting those artworks. They basically just write a proposal to the donor of that work. And at the end of the, the viewing period, those donors will look at those proposals and see which one makes the most compelling case. So, um, it's it, we've just finished our first cycle okay. uh, having a catalog up on on online and we had 50 museums already looking at that catalog and there we've got like 40 proposals that came in during that period and so we're giving those proposals now to those donors to decide mm-hmm. and in many cases there's multiple proposals and the donors are going to have <laughs> to kind of choose and and you know amazing scholarship and and um, an art history kind of coming out of these these proposals, and so so the proposal from the museum or from the yeah from the museum is telling the donor what they will do with the yeah okay yeah. so they're they're basically just writing out the pathway of of what they're going to exactly do. a little bit maybe about what their museum stands for and why this object would make a difference in what they're doing um, because one of the things that donors don't like is that their their object goes to a museum and sits in storage so yeah. The fact that a museum can say this is important to us and will change what we're doing in X Y Z way, um, you know, is is powerful. Yeah, um, and and I think leveling the playing field. It sounds like that that's really what what that what that platform allows or gives the availability to. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's one of the really exciting potentials of this, and and yeah. to be talking to small museums across the country and and understanding what they're looking for. And then that informs my conversations with the collectors. I've, I've got a place that'll be perfect for, for this work that they're looking for this kind of thing. And so kind of being a ma- essentially kind of being a matchmaker in a way, mm-hmm. which is a, a role that I've enjoyed playing when I've been at museums, like connecting collectors, their trustees with artworks and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that has been always a, a really fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been great, and yeah. uh, and I think we can we're all like yesterday was the the, f- the end of our first cycle, and we all kind of got together and talked about how it went, and I think we're all feeling really positive with that first yeah. that first round and and t- testing the testing the business model in a way. Yeah, yeah, congratulations! Yeah. So every quarter, then you yeah. guys are aiming yep. for. Yep. Yeah. So a, a brand new catalog is going live um, s- essentially today, um, th- and so. Th- 
and it'll be up for three months. And so ne the next push really for me will be um, kind of gathering objects for the catalog after that and getting more and more museums signed on and looking at this current catalog and, and getting them involved. And so kind of trying to grow both sides of it yeah. kind of in tandem so that one side isn't bigger than the other side yeah. in terms of the supply and the <laughs> sure. demand. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, and, and we've, we've really envisioned all kinds of, as we're going through this, all kinds of other ways that we can grow the company in different, different directions too. So mm -hmm. that's been, that's been really exciting. Nice. Yeah. And, and the, it's, I mean, it sounds like you're curating still within the, within the platform, uh, kind of, yeah, within itself, yeah. right? As, as things come in, you start, I mean, there's a, I think it was a William Gibson had wrote a book called pattern recognition. And I really love that concept of pattern recognition. I think it's yeah. actually very key to what a curator does where you see this one thing and then this other thing next to it. And, and then a third thing and like, Oh, what is the connection between those? And then all of a sudden a story emerges. And so that happened as we were building this current catalog where we started to see themes yeah. emerge and then oh, yeah. and and then you kind of put a little narrative around it so. yeah absolutely and i'm sure as the, as the you know uh catalogs start being released you're going to definitely find more information in the data yeah definitely. yeah um that, that that's exciting i i want to stay on it but i just i, I just want to ask you about this what are your thoughts on the um nft type of movement that's going on right now i i feel like i just have to because I think it's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I also agree that it's, it's really interesting. I think, you know, there's absolute legitimacy to digital art. Yeah. And, um, and how to own digital art and display it and, and, and kind of take, take pleasure in, in it, yeah. I think is, is um, super worthwhile. I'm still kind of coming to terms with some of the, the prices and the valuation yeah. because so much of, of the traditional art market is based on kind of, you know, a pretty recognizable um, sort of what would it be called like a like a pathway from like a lower valuation to a middle valuation, and that's usually tied to like exhibitions and reviews and sure. museum shows. And as a career kind of progresses, mm -hmm. you start to see prices kind of going up. And in this case, to to see these like incredible spikes, you know, up to sixty nine million dollars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of that part and see kind of where where the the kind of baseline is there to, to make sense of all that. Yeah. Um, the thing I love about it, uh, from what I understand, is that artists that make these these digital objects or art digital artworks, I should say, um, are seem like they're getting money every time they change hands. And yeah. it's kind of built into the system. And yeah. that doesn't exist in the traditional art market right now. You yeah. know, when an artist has a piece that goes to auction and sells for tons of money, they've already, they already sold that piece probably a long time ago at a very low value and they get zero yeah, benefit, financial wild. benefit from that's that. Wild. Um, so that is something that's, that's I think, that the, the the traditional art market should really be looking at, yeah. Um, and I think in many ways the pressures on the the auction houses could distribute that money back to those living artists if they wanted to, yeah. Um, but they they haven't really chosen to. Um, yeah. So I think that's a place where where maybe artists could rise up and kind of exert a little more pressure mm -hmm. in some way. You know, mm -hmm. there's there are laws that, that get in the way, <laughs> but yeah, um, that, do, that don't compel the, the auction houses to do that. But I think it's it's kind of wrong. I mean, yeah. you know, you see it in like the music industry where, yeah, um, you, you know, you have rights to your songs and you get royalties and all that. And 
visual artists more by, by and large do not have those same those same rights yeah yeah and for those of you who don't know uh recently the nft that uh michael just alluded to as well was called beeple well, the uh, artist is called Beeple. The artist is called Beeple. Yeah, the, and the title was I think it was called Five Thousand Days. Five Thousand Days, yeah. right? Where he took photo for five thousand days, didn't miss a day, and then the auction house of South Christie's, Christie's, mm-hmm. yeah, um, purchased it and sold it um, for the sixty-nine million amount. So it's it's ridiculous. I think one of the interesting things that I heard about that too, or, or the NFTs, is that. The artists are now using the market as part of the medium, so they they can whoever purchases purchases the NFT, then they get the royalties as well, and and you know they can either make it into a JPEG or they can or excuse me make it into a JPEG, print it, um, do whatever they want with that art, which I think was super interesting too. Yeah, right. That opens yeah. up a lot of opportunities to what to do with it. Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah, I mean the. The person that bought that people piece, you know, it, it it could be, it could be interesting if it you could put it on like a gigantic kind of screen or something, yeah, um, where you can really kind of look at all the different images in there and and, um, I mean, I suppose you could do that on your own home computer screen, but it, yeah, I mean, t- that one of the cool things about museums, is sharing those things with pe- people, yeah. Which again, you know, happens online, I suppose, virtually. But but kind of, it's just like the movies, like seeing things with other people in the room and kind of g- getting the the, the, the energy from their yeah. reaction and, and all of that is is part of that mm-hmm. that kind of human mm-hmm. interaction that's that I think is, is quite quite important. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and in in how we met, we met through the MCA, and I think one of the things that really stood out to me with one of those meetings was when uh, we were talking about an emerge artist. I believe it was a Native American where it looked as just like an abstract um, piece of artwork. And you're like, typically what happened or, or the type of artwork is where there are maps, where the t- that type of artwork has maps. And I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, Michael really has to know a wide range of type of art. Right. And, and how do you kind of stay on top of the the almost the technique or not not really the technique but like the style of art how do you stay abreast of that i know we talked about uh, coffee table books and how you love, love coffee table books and books in general but how do you, how do you stay abreast of all of that yeah you know i think that's one of the things that had has become really challenging for contemporary art curators is almost an expectation that you know everything about that's going on everywhere in the world <laughs> and it yeah. created a bit of an arms race for amongst curators to like just travel all the time <laughs> to every corner of the world and go to art fairs in every yeah. country in the world and like know something and you know there's a point where you just can't yeah and, and maybe you get stretched so thin that you're only looking at a certain kind of of the most visible art and not digging deeper into a certain community or, uh, or or geography or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that finding that balance between, you know, really having some kind of deep knowledge about a particular kind of art and 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 also having some breadth, you know, is is a, is a tricky balance. And, and I suppose one thing at the MCA, we had the luxury of having about, you know, five full time curators on the team. 
And so, and I kind of helped to build that team in a way that there was a portfolio of different types of expertise, you know, so Fantastic. one person that really knows Latin America and would go down there and, and look at that work and bring that to, to the fore and thinking, looking at, at Asian work or African work and, and um, the Middle East and South Asia. And so if, if you've got the luxury of multiple people that can fan out across the world and bring that information back, um, oftentimes, you know, reading about it and learning about it in different languages than than English too. I mean, that's that to me is like really ideal and, a, and yeah. a fantastic. But if it's if you're the only contemporary curator <laughs> and you're expected to know what's going on in China and and uh, Beirut and, yeah. and Buenos Aires, you know, yeah. not to mention New York and L.A. and Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of impossible (laughs) and you know all day you just be like online you know looking at galleries and reading art magazines just to like stay up Mm -hmm. uh, up with it so it's it's tricky it's tricky to do that do you think the covid pause was good for curators or how what do you think how do you think not only yourself but just in general do you what was the kind of strategy or the pivot for typical uh curators or finding out that information yeah i i think it's probably because nobody was traveling right um i think that pause allows the a lot of the art world to recognize probably the carbon footprint of all this traveling and these art fairs and things going on all over the place um and and to really kind of push people towards those digital resources that Mm -hmm. you can access from from home um i mean the thing that you that you miss that 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 i always thought was so valuable was well, of course, seeing exhibitions in person because of the reasons we mentioned, like so much art yeah, is course. physical and it's your physical reaction to it and how it how it shapes space. You know, if we're getting getting back to architecture is, mm-hmm. you know, is really important. Um, but then also seeing artists in their studios and how they're working and 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 just seeing what's pinned up on their walls can be so oh, illuminating yeah. sometimes um, yeah. and seeing the unfinished product, seeing that experimentation and the, and those failures that that happen before the stuff leaves the studio and goes up on a museum or gallery wall. I mean, all that information is really important. And, Very and important. I always felt felt like my all my inspirations really came from being in artist studios and hearing what they're concerned with and talking about and then take having that information shape kind of whatever the point of view that I was because because then you're getting like the you're get, it's sort of like a stock trade or something you're getting the information that's shaping you know the the, the current field and and bringing that to the public you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that that was one of the things that was always so exciting about yeah um, yeah I mean travel. the space and sticking with the architecture and design the space of uh you know, you really get to understand who the person is, right? When we were talking before about office space and, you know, well, it's nice to bring someone in and they can see those kind of um, those ancillary things that really provide a lot of character to who an individual or who a group of individuals really are. Yeah. Um, even to the art on the wall. Um, how do you, how do I guess like art consultants for workplace or for commercial spaces, right? Like that's nothing new. People typically have you know, art consultants curate the art shown on the walls and work workplaces. Is that still a big kind of industry or was that, did you come across that a lot? You know, it's uh, it is definitely a really big industry. And I would say that it's really become quite big uh, in, 
in the last 10 years or so okay. as collecting has um, has really ramped up just the consumption of art which also has gone hand in hand with these art fairs um, and and people that don't you know they're busy in their in their normal lives and and don't have the time to go chase artworks and it's become quite competitive to chase yeah. those artworks yeah and so have so art consultants have really done uh, served a, an important purpose in kind of keeping keeping that art moving um, and flowing and directing it to 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 these end users in a way. Um, and and they're the ones that you know that can that can spend that time because that's it's their primary job is, is scouting and, and going and looking at, at art and other other places and travel getting on those planes and traveling to those art fairs yeah. and yeah. and shooting notes back to the the clients that they work for um, and um, and the best ones I think are ones that really get they really understand what the what the collectors are interested in what they're what they're attracted to, what they're drawn to, how they can um, build a collection for them that feels like it's a reflection of their their personalities and not mm-hmm. just sort of a cookie cutter thing that's, you know, these are all the flavor of the month. Yeah, um, yeah. And because these trends kind of appear very rapidly yeah. and everybody will follow them. And um, so the, 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 the curators for sure, but also the art consultants that can like take one step back from that, kind of see it for what it is and kind of redirect in another direction, I think are the ones that I, that I really uh, respect. And especially ones that are not just forcing their own taste on a, on a client, but, but picking things that they, that they know that they've heard their clients say that they're interested. And it could be like, I just like abstract work or I like the color blue or I am a, a real hardcore feminist and I only want to collect female artists, like picking out, uh, character traits that then can help shape uh, a collecting direction I think lends uh, ends up making much more interesting collections because they're focused and they kind of tight they hold together and um, and so I, I really like it when I see a collector kind of um, going beyond like I know what I like and yeah. kind of really saying I like this you know and, yeah and following that yeah I mean that's that's a big tall task for sure um and, and we keep mentioning the fairs uh i've been down to, to basil of course uh, multiple years i've gone we've gone um i don't know how many years ago but we've seen it change and we've seen how the interest has changed and where where it was currently last year not last year two years ago um and that has completely changed, you know, from from the beginning of where it was just a smaller, really kind of enthusiast enthusiasts as well as collectors. But now it's just like a general public sort of angle. Do you think they're still going to continue with that? I mean, that's a juggernaut of a fair, right? Yeah. I mean, I think um, the, the the cool thing about a gigantic art fair like Art Basel Miami is is that a, a serious collector or museum curator for that matter can go there and see so much work under one roof yeah and um which otherwise would it would take a really long time to be to go all hit all of new yeah. york and then go do london and then do you know madrid or whatever and have all of those people in the one building and see a wide range of art i mean it's still a bit superficial because you're kind of getting a sampling of all of the works that they that those galleries from all over the world show during the course of a year or a couple yeah. of years um so you kind of have to come to terms with that and the display of it is often 
not as as exciting as it would be in the gallery when the artist is there kind of making that environment for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. But um, the value of, of that and, and also being able to make those personal connections with people, again, like all under that same roof where that's the, the main purpose. There, there's something really, really valuable about that. But I think the great thing then is that the general public can also then come in and kind of get a sense of what this crazy, you know, world <laughs> of, of the art world looks like. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's probably still work to be done where the galleries are, are probably not as generous in their, about the, in their time and dealing with with someone that doesn't know a lot about art, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's it's not as uh, as we're like a museum, you know. Their goal is, is education, so yeah, they exactly. can be more yeah. generous and patient yeah. and lend a hand in helping people understand things. Whereas at, at one of those fairs, it can be a little ruthless. Absolutely, <laughs> and and you could see, and I mean, granted, they're there for you know hours on end on it for each day and of course if you if you're not if they read if they judge that you're not really someone who's going to buy they're just going to not really take the time to educate and yeah. the patients yeah. so that it's that all is, about making the sale it's all about making the sale yeah. definitely um, yeah but but uh, you know i think it's still it's still really it's it's a really great phenomenon and you know of course now with covid and crowds you know we'll see mm -hmm. kind of how long it takes to kind of get back to that yeah. kind of capacity but uh, but i think it, it serves a real purpose nice yeah and and, and what do you do uh where do you travel to on your own personal time and when you're not hunting i, I know uh you know obviously you need to take refuge for yourself too so what, what are some of those things yeah i mean you know it's i think that's still like a new a new world for me because like i like art kind of personally yeah. as well as professionally <laughs> and so often it was like really hard to know like is this a work trip or is this a pleasure <laughs> trip you know and um and I, I suppose i'm still kind of in that space where i would i would like to travel to a city like like venice or paris or new york or, or mexico city because and i would go to art galleries and museums as yeah. well as restaurants and 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 cool like bars or whatever and um and go visit artists, you know. So I think there, those are the kind of places that I still really gravitate to. Um, but um, yeah, because it's all encompassing, right? Like it's constant. You're constantly on. And and some people always ask me, like, is, does it, are you get tired when you're constantly on? It's like I'm not really on. Like I enjoy design. I enjoy yeah. these conversations. I enjoy art. Like it's just something that consumes you right and yeah. you can just and gratefully um fortunate enoughly you know you're working in that space in that capacity where you can just be yourself 24 7. yeah yeah, yeah and even is, if i'm pass if i'm if it's technically like a real vacation or something i'm passively consuming this stuff it's still yeah. going to be useful to me professionally <laughs> it's <laughs> right, exactly. like i saw this thing <laughs> when i was on vacation and, yeah um but yeah I'm, i mean i'm kind of i'm dying to get back to mexico city um, I'm oh, trying yeah. to get back to Tokyo. Yeah. You know, I I, met, I was, you know, g getting to Paris pretty regularly when I was working on this Vir the Virgil Abloh show and going to like fashion shows in Paris. That was like pretty amazing. Yeah. So there's some of those those kinds of cities that I I really miss and and I'm just you know itching to to get back to. So yeah, definitely. And uh, w what do you say to like the younger generation trying to get into um, things that have of art and just in general like because it because it, it takes a lot of hard work right and you know you've been at it for so long and and you know it, it's it's inspiring but i think a lot of people only do see the get the art on the wall they don't see the long nights and everything that goes to go into it so i i 
how has that like any words on that I mean one of the the best pieces of advice that I got really really early on at the you know when I was first doing an internship at my hometown art museum was just look and look and look and look and look and look and like look see as much as you possibly can because like as you're logging that visual information you know you're starting to shape your sensibility and kind of to know what mm-hmm. what is is effective and and really resonates and what doesn't and and start to kind of create that that internal criteria almost that you that you follow because you know you see, you end up seeing so much stuff you kind of have to kind of like say oh I see that no good on to the next yeah. thing and so like building the, those muscles of kind of discernment I think is is important and mm-hmm. and then that then leads to the other thing that I that I always tell young curators that I'm meeting with is is t- sort of developing a, a voice you know a curatorial voice which is about like having a, a position on things that you believe in and that you stand by behind and um so I think that's that's something too that's not not so easy and it, it just t- takes time it takes getting in front of public to talk about it, it takes yeah. writing criticism it takes making exhibitions and getting feedback so it's like all those ways that you put your own personal uh, voice out on display for you know which is can be very vulnerable too you know absolutely and so, uh, that that's where I think you see the difference between someone that's that's going to make a difference and can really kind of have a career and someone that's that's maybe going to kind of not kind of make that last step because let's face it there are only a handful of curator jobs in any city in yeah. this country and in some cities you know there might only be one contemporary yeah. art curator in that one museum you know yeah. so it is a, a really a, a cutthroat business yeah i mean i don't cutthroat sounds like like it's nasty it's not nasty but it's just so competitive you know Very there's just so yeah. few jobs and, and do you think the uh, not only the curator for the museums, but the uh, consultants, do you think that's an avenue that uh, will a lot? I guess what, what I'm asking is not not necessarily young, but um, novice type of cl- curators. Do a lot, any of investors or collectors um, are open to. I guess what what pedigree or where do you have to hit as a curator in order for investors to really take you seriously? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know once you're a curator at a museum, oftentimes then you you develop relationships with the trustees of that those museums, and they tend right. to be collectors, and so that kind of sharing of information and expertise between curators and trustees is is a fu- I always found a very fun one and and it's really kind of a benefit of being a trustee at a museum is that mm-hmm. you get that access to those curators and and what they're seeing and and it's like hey I'm thinking about buying this piece what do you think of it like getting that kind of advice yeah. is a benefit of of that relationship um I I think um I think that there's a real space for younger art advisors to be out there and especially scouting smaller galleries mm-hmm. uh, upstart galleries that are showing really exciting younger artists because um, that's really hard hard work to go and find those places and keep up with what they're doing um, and but I, I do feel like that there's still probably a, a hurdle in getting a collector to then believe in that younger yeah. person I think I think you know unfortunately the the way that you would do that is really like pick young artists 
buy them at a low price and then see their <laughs> prices yeah, go up right. and then have this track record of picking winners, so to speak, <laughs> you know, like you're picking stocks. Unfortunately, yeah. I think that's the currency that you that uh, a, a, a young art advisor would kind of have to have to get uh, a collector's attention. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in some ways that's kind of a, the, a, a more crass part of the art where mm-hmm. Um, museum people kind of like to keep their distance from that because it starts to feel speculative. It can feel, um, it can feel extractive of artists. It can it can feel exploitative of what they're doing. You know, to to have money be the the primary focus of, of why the collectors are buying what they're buying and, and yeah. to like reap a, reap a profit, especially when as we mentioned, you know, the artist is not going to get to see any of that price appreciation. Um, until they start selling their works at a higher price, you know, I suppose. But um, yeah, so there's something about that that's still a little bit icky, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. So. Yeah. And, and I guess on the flip side of that, um, you know, 2021, 2022, the near future, I guess, what are some different museums or artists that we should be looking out for? Kind of those trends that you mentioned. Um, not really the, the trends, but what do you, anything that... Uh, that you're interested in seeing where it develops in the next year, year or two? I mean, I think the thing that museums are still really um, reckoning with and and more and more, especially after what happened in 20, 2020 um, with, with kind of the, the social social reckoning in this country and thinking about racism and, and white supremacy is is continuing to integrate their collections with other voices and artists that have been underrepresented and so there's um you know on the one hand you know historical artists that have just been overlooked and and aren't part of the mainstream dialogue i mean those artists need to to get brought up and brought back into the light and and be looked at in in a new way um but then i think there there are also other uh younger artists too that are coming up artists of color artists from non um, traditional art center, like not LA, not New York, like other cities, you yeah, know, yeah. and having a voice. So I think that there's a loosening of that prejudice again, you know, geographic pre- prejudice. I mean, Chicago has really become a place where um, curators and collectors are looking at, at talent here because we have so many great art schools. It's a relatively affordable place to live. So there's, there's a, you know, a, a really incredible art scene here in Chicago that is being recognized, you know, more globally now than than it ever had been in the past. I think. Interesting. Um, so I think I think that there's a willingness to look, you know, at Detroit or at Atlanta yeah. or uh, other places for for artists and the and those art scenes that that I think is refreshing and and really necessary as opposed to you know you have to be in New York in order to have a yeah, career. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah. I think that's starting to go away, you know, mm-hmm. and it's so hard to make a living as an artist in those cities. You know, you have to have a day job yeah. if you're emerging. And so when do you have time to really do do that work? So it's um, uh, I, I think that's that's a trend that I'm I'm excited to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a struggle. And for all the artists out there listening or watching, please keep up the good work for sure. I, although it's a some people you get discouraged because it's a, like a drop in a bucket but uh i mean evolving as a as an artist and and allowing yourself to evolve i think is super important um well great well, where can people follow uh museum exchange or yourself or where can people reach out to you if 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 you're comfortable with that of course <laughs> yeah i mean um right now that it's interesting the museum exchange um website and the platform 
is really just designed for two audiences, you know? Yeah. It's like the, the museum folks that log on and they get to look at all the artwork that, that's on there and then the collectors that, that are donating. So mm -hmm. it's not there's not much of a spectator sport yeah. <laughs> there yeah. for, for people. I mean, if you log on to the, to the site, which is um, museumexchange.com, you know, you get a sense of kind of how the process works and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, I, and, and I would say, I, w I wish I could kind of plug my uh, my Instagram uh, right now or something. But I, I mean, I my Instagram activity is so tied to like traveling yeah. and going to like concerts, you know, both of which are like non-existent these yeah. days and stuff. Yeah. So I've got to figure out a new way to to push to out some yeah. <laughs> some ideas and some content out there. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, no problem. I was just I, curious. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. so that's that's still. That's in the work, something I need to yeah. I need to develop a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Great, um, but that's that is M Dub Darling, you know. M Dub Darling, is gotcha. My, uh, is my Instagram handle. So there you go. Um, <laughs> cool, cool. Um, well, yeah. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate uh, coming on. Any any last words or anything like that? No, just you know, it's uh, great to be here with you, and thanks for all the the great questions, and and you know, also thanks to Hayworth for this beautiful environment, and yeah. um, it's kind of, I, I am a furniture geek, you know, at heart, so kind of looking around, seeing all this amazing stuff yeah. is uh, is is very tantalizing <laughs> to me. So. Nice. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks, Felix. Doors closing.